Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. My name is Michael. I'm on the uh, teaching team here at Damascus Road Church, and it's a, it's a privilege to be able to be here with you this morning, to be able to um, just partake in the gospel together, and, uh, and to be able to to meditate on on the word together, so uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I was just in in Senegal with, with Shannon and Julie, and uh, some others from uh, from a partnering church in Fond du Lac, and so uh, is Julie. Yeah, there you are. Hey, um, I'm not forgetting anybody. Am I? Um, yeah, so we we had a great time in in Senegal. It was it was such a privilege to be able to represent. Um, this community um, on on another continent, and uh, we just really appreciate you guys' uh, support and encouragement, and we're looking forward to unpacking that some more together, sharing about that trip, and um, feel free to ask questions. I'm sure Julie will just love to give you all the info on what kind of what went down. Um, <clears throat> I, I learned something about Julie in particular is that she really likes spicy food. So especially things like bell peppers, tomatoes, uh, <laughs> things that are <laughs> really up there. What's that scale, the, the spiciness scale? Uh, Scovel? Yeah, so things that are really up there on the Scovel scale. Uh, no, no, she doesn't like spicy food. I learned that. Um, um, anyway, I'll leave that there. Yeah, we, we, had, a, we had a great trip um, in... Uh, yeah, I don't want to go. I don't want to go too in in depth on that. But it was just amazing to see the things that God is doing in uh, in Senegal, Western Africa. So we're on the westernmost point of mainland uh, Africa, and just seeing the things that God is doing in that nation. Um, the way so it's a predominantly uh, Muslim nation, about ninety percent, if I remember right, um, and surrounded by countries that have. Uh, countries like Mali that have had more of like a, an uprising of, of extremist uh, Islamic um, fundamentalists. And so um, it, it was amazing to see in, in the midst of that the um, kind of the welcoming spirit of the Senegalese people and um, the things that God is doing um, in, in bringing people to him. We talked with people who had been healed, who were delivered, who uh, had visions of Jesus, and, and so that's what they were doing at the church. They were like, well, I got set free, so it just made sense to follow Jesus. I was healed. I tried everything. I went to the witch doctor. I went to the imam. I, 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 I did these prayers and that thing and that thing, and then, uh, and then the pastor prayed for me, and Jesus set me free. So, like, here I am. <laughs> it just makes sense. Uh, we read in the scripture the, our, our reasonable act of worship. These people were demonstrating. They were like, well, that just makes sense. Uh, one of the church members from Fond du Lac um, and myself had the privilege to help baptize 11 new believers who um, were coming into, and we're talking like a, a, rural, a rural church, okay? This is not like a, uh, an urban setting. And um, the church is growing and multiplying and reaching out um, yeah, just to, to surrounding areas. And uh, talking with some of these people that were being baptized, just testimony after testimony, they were just like, yeah, I, I got set free. So here I am. There was one, 
older woman. I think we'll have a, an image of this. No, is it easy to throw that up now? Yeah, let's just go ahead and throw this image up. Uh, older woman that, um, that we were able to, uh, just such a privilege to, to be able to, to partake in this baptism. And <clears throat> helping her. So that, that's, a, that's a tall cement tank, okay? So that thing is like up to my chest off the ground. So helping her into that tank. And then, uh, so we're like, we actually, we reached over to help her, and she was like way more nimble than me and Thurman there on the left. Um, but as, as we were asking her kind of before putting her under, we were like, okay, do you uh, commit to follow Christ? Yes. Have you put away everything, all of your idols? Have you put away every other thing and, and, and commit to following Him wholeheartedly? And she just she made this motion, which means like, it's gone. She's like, started talking. The translator's like, yeah, she says that she's put away all her idols. She got rid of everything because nothing else, nothing else could heal her but Jesus. And so we put her under. (laughs) And it was just, you know, sometimes like things that we do kind of lose their meaning. Um, Like baptism. Baptism is a symbol of it's an outward symbol of something that's happening within us, right? It's a commitment, and it's a public commitment. So gathered there at the baptism is kind of a spectacle. You've got uh, community members who are not a part of the church, who are Muslims, who are animists, um, who are Catholics, but don't associate with other streams of, of Christianity. Um, and to have her go under and come out and in this new life, um, symbolized and demonstrated was really, really impacting to me. And um, I, I think what, what impacted me, I guess, the most was just reminding me that we've got to sometimes get out of our context to, uh, to have God, uh, to be able to see clearly. Okay? And I'm not saying that we all need to go to Senegal to be able to see God clearly, but God continually kind of takes us out of our comfort areas and, uh, and show, uh, so, so that he can show us himself more clearly. All right, so, um, so it's great to be here. It's great to be back. Um, and thank you again for, uh, for just standing with us. We're excited to um, kind of unpack that trip and talk then about what does this mean for us as, as a church as a whole. Uh, so more on that soon, I'm sure. But um, we're going to continue on our, on our series on the book of Colossians this morning. This uh, series is called Greater Than. It's referring to Jesus. And this is basically... Paul's message to the Colossians is that Jesus is greater than. He is sufficient. He is supreme. He is preeminent above all things. Justin uh, made this uh, statement as he was uh, talking with you guys over the past couple weeks, a phrase that we've been kicking around a lot, is that it's not Jesus and, but Jesus, period. It's not Jesus and, but Jesus, period. A lot of times for us, we're trying to sort of add things to Christ. Right? We're trying to kind of add um, things to, uh, to make Him sufficient. And the message here is that Jesus is sufficient. It's Jesus period, not Jesus and. Um, Paul, the, the occasion again that, that Paul's writing to the church is that he's heard some good news from his buddy Epaphras who, um, who was working in this area. Good things about the growth of the church. And, and yet, some, some really uh, hard things, too. That there, there was some heretical teaching, uh, some, some teaching that's not of the gospel, kind of seeping into the church. And those were from a few different strands. Some of it was just human philosophy 
trying to kind of reason out from a, from a human perspective how we could gain salvation. Some of it was from Judaism. There had been a, a Jewish presence in the city. And um, so you have a, a lot of pagan background believers with backgrounds of, of idolatry and, and pagan worship and immorality. And um, they're coming into the church with a Jewish influence. And you, so you've got Jews saying, well, actually, you need to be uh, circumcised. Actually, you need to practice these certain festivals. There are certain requirements that you've got to meet, right? So you've got the philosophy. You've got the Judaistic uh, influence. You've got some backsliding back into immorality. And so these things are all, all kind of floating around. There's also some, some angel worship going on and sort of some, some mystical components kind of brought in which were kind of taking away from, from people's idea of the supremacy of Christ, right? So all these things are kind of floating around and Paul's writing to, this, to these believers in this city. And so what does he do? What is, how, do how do you address a church? How would you do this? Let's say you've got to sit down now. You've got to write a letter. Colossians is not super long. It's four chapters. It takes like 15 minutes to read. Let's say you're going to sit down and draft a 15-minute letter to a church. Some of them are slide, backsliding into immorality. Some of them are being told that they've got to like go be circumcised and not eat bacon and do all this kind of meet all these requirements and stuff. What, what would you write? Anybody? <laughs> Sort of a hard, hard project to, to undertake, right? So uh, I would be tempted to just write a list. Don't do this, do this, you'll be fine, period, right? But Paul, as you read Colossians 1, the first and foremost thing that Paul does is gives them a vision. He gives them vision. Vision of Jesus. Vision of His kingdom. And also helping them to see their need for vision. Okay, so these are three things that we're going to talk about this morning. Okay, we're going to break down um, a, a few passages here from Colossians chapter one. We're going to talk about the vision of Jesus, the vision of His kingdom, and our need for vision. Okay, so Paul is is reaching out to these people who he actually hasn't met, and he's presenting to them not just an argument, not just logic, not a list, but a person. He presents to them a person. Okay, so let's dig in. Uh, we're going to read Colossians 1, 15 through 23. I'm going to preach from verses 18 through 20. So let's read this together. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. So again, Paul's presenting to them a person, okay? This is his... This is his, his, uh, his, the angle he's taking. Is Here's a person in front of you, okay? For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless 
above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which, he has, been, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, it's the Word of God. All right, so let's dig into this. Vision of Jesus, vision of His kingdom, and our need for vision. All right, so kick back a little, uh, little bit before this, so several years before this. So Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, you guys have heard of him, right? John the Baptist is, is uh, in prison. It's not looking good. It's a rough time. Imagine being in a dank prison. It's probably gross, cold, dirt on the floor. There's smell of urine around you. It's bad, right? And uh, so, so John the Baptist is in prison. And he sends some of his disciples on, a, uh, on an errand, okay? He sends some of his disciples on an errand. So I'm going to start reading from Luke 7, verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And let's see, he, and calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? All right, so pause there. So John the Baptist, back up a little bit more. So John is the guy who in his mother's womb leapt at the conception of Jesus, right? So he meets, he meets so Jesus and John are, are, are cousins, and their mothers get together, and John actually leaps in his mother's womb. And later on, so John, John has a, a revelation of who Jesus is, and even as Jesus comes to be baptized by John, John makes these statements, Behold, Behold, here comes the one who we're not worthy of, right? So, John, of anybody, John's got some revelation of Jesus, right? You with me? John's a pretty extraordinary dude. And Jesus even says, John is, he makes a statement later in in Luke chapter 7. He says, um, John is the greatest among those. Greatest among humans. He He makes a statement sort of like that. So, John, John's this great dude. He's got deep revelation of who Jesus is, and John's in prison. A dank, nasty prison. And John can't see, right? And so he sends his disciples out to see for him. And he says, hey, go ask him. Just go ask him. Go ask him if he's the one or if we should wait for another. When the, man, when the men came to Jesus... They said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who has come or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of disease and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight and he answered them. Go, this was Jesus' answer. First of all, Jesus' answer is that he does a bunch of stuff, sets people free, heals people, all this stuff. And then in verse 22, he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended by me. So, John can't see. He sends his disciples out to see for him. Jesus' response is that he does a bunch of stuff and he tells them, go back and tell them what you have seen and what you have heard. In other words, tell John what you experienced. 
That was Jesus' answer to the question. In other words, yes, I'm the one. Okay? So John needs people to see for him. John needs vision. And so he sends people out to see for him, okay? We all need others sometimes to, to help us with our vision, okay? Even John did. You do. I do. We all need others' vision to help us along sometimes. Sometimes we can't see. You might not be in a prison cell, but you might emotionally be locked into a prison cell. Your faith might be up on the rocks, okay? You might be hurt, injured. You might be remembering past abuse and things going on and circumstances all around you. And you need people to see for you. See, this is exactly what Paul is doing for the Colossians right here. He's serving as the Colossians' eyes and ears. He's presenting Jesus to them. Period. He's presenting Jesus to them. He's saying He is the one. By Him, all things were made. All things were made through Him. And through Him, all things hold together. All things were made for Him. He is reconciling all things to Himself, including you. So Paul paints this picture of Jesus for the Colossians to them. He makes these statements about Jesus being the head, the beginning, the firstborn. In the, in the passages that, that Justin preached last week, there are these, these, there's this, um, this rhythm where Paul says, by, through, and for. By Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. All things were made by Him, through Him, and for Him. He's repeating that. He's saying Jesus is the head. He's the head of the church. He, so Paul's talking about the redemption that, that, that God, that God and, through Jesus is bringing. And he mentions the church is sort of the agent that he chooses to do these things through. Which is crazy to think about, right? He chooses you and me as the agents of change and reconciliation and redemption to, to do these things through. You don't have the power to do it, but he chooses to do it through you in partnership with you. He is the firstborn. He's the firstborn. So as Jesus, that doesn't mean that, that, God, that Jesus was created at some time back in the past. So what he's saying is that Jesus was the first one raised from the dead and that we will follow suit. We will be resurrected with Him. And as He reconciles all things, all things will be raised up just like Him in new life. Through the blood of His cross, and for him. All right, so John the Baptist needed vision. Paul's given it to the Colossians. Some other people who needed vision were just after Jesus' death. Um, tradition tells us that it is a couple walking along a road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. In other words, the, the Emmaus road, right? So they're walking along, disappointed, talking about the story. See, they, they thought Jesus the, was going to be the Messiah, they thought he was going to set them free from the colonizers. These dirty Romans who were there, and and um, and they, they thought Jesus was gonna was gonna throw off the oppressor and lead them forth in peace and victory, but then he died. Total bummer, right? They're just they're bummed. They're they're walking to Emmaus, roughly ten miles. How long does it take you to walk ten miles? A few hours, four hours, depending on how fast you're walking. Three miles an hour. Let's say three and a half hours, four hours. They're walking along. And uh, it says, a man came and walked beside them and asked them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you the only one who hasn't heard? 
Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah, but he died and he stayed dead. And then this man begins to recount all of Scripture to them, showing them Jesus through story after story after story, through history, right? They get to, uh, they get to their home, and uh, they're turning in, and, and this man, who we know is Jesus, turned to walk the other way, and they're like, no, stay, stay, stay. And he says, okay, I'll stay. They sit down together to eat, and he breaks the bread, and their eyes are open, and they see that it was him. And they make these statements. They're like, didn't our hearts, weren't our hearts warmed while he spoke to us? You ever felt that before? Didn't our hearts grow warm inside of us as he was speaking to us? They left immediately back to Jerusalem, another 10 miles. That one was probably faster to tell the rest of the disciples what had happened. They're like, he's alive. He's alive. Now, how many miles, how many miles does it take for our eyes to be opened? Eight miles, 10 miles, 20 miles? A loaf of bread being broken. <laughs> um, see, what Jesus was doing, they lacked vision, and Jesus was showing them himself, right? He was giving them vision of, of himself. He was saying, this is me as the people left Egypt. This is me in the cloud and the fire by night, giving direction and protection. This is me through this. This is me through Jeremiah. This is me. See, he's, he's giving them vision. You see that? They lacked vision. See, their problem wasn't willpower. Their problem wasn't that, that they lacked the means. The problem was that they lacked vision, right? And Jesus met them and He gave them vision. As He gave them vision, their hearts were warmed inside of them. He walked alongside them. So, can, can we see Him? Can you see? How's your vision? Can you see Him? Can you see Him through Scripture? Can you see Him in your story? Can you see Christ in your life, in your experiences? Do you look for Him daily? How's your vision? Is it blurry? What happens if your vision is, if your vision is blurry? What do you do? Yeah, okay, well, what's the process? Like, what do you do? Do you just, like, sit in your living room and they, and they like, show up? Or, like, what do you do? You've got to do something about it, right? Like, you've got to go to the person who can, like, get you the right glasses, right? You've got to get up, take action, do something about it. Now, <clears throat> it's the same for us when, when our vision is blurry, when we lack vision, when we can't see Jesus any longer. Just like John. You guys, this is not like some syndrome that plagues bad Christians. You guys, this is life you will lose your vision. You will. Your vision will, will go dim. Your love will grow cold. Your, your passion will fade. And so what do you do? Oh no, I better go raise my hand at a Billy Graham crusade again. I guess it didn't take that time. No. This is life, right? You've got to cultivate. You've got to get your hands down Deep. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to take action to cultivate and say, Lord, restore it. How do we do that? Just like John, we say, hey, guys, around, hey, I need to be open with you guys. I can't see clearly any longer. Can you help me see? Can you, can you um, teach me the gospel, friends? 
You get why? So this is why we need community around us. All right, so Paul brings a, a vision of, of Jesus. He also brings a vision of the kingdom. We've recently had uh, an inauguration and, and change in power, right, in the U.S. I won't go into any details in any direction on that, except I'm going to talk about the transition process. Super interesting. So inauguration took place when? Back in January, right? The inauguration takes place, but there's, a, there's sort of a, there's an in-between phase, right? Where this new person is called President-elect Trump, President-elect Obama, and this other person is still president. And so that's a clear, that's a clear distinction, but we know that change is coming, right? Um, <clears throat> There's a lot, there's a, there are a lot of things that, that go down during that time. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of anticipation. There might be even fear. Um, there's a lot of preparation. There are teams of people working. One of, one of these teams, this is from the New York Times, one president out, another in. You don't just hire two guys with a truck. <laughs> from Washington, out with almonds, in with Doritos. <laughs> All right? So it says... Um, the process, months in the planning, but mere hours in its military-like execution unfolds mostly away from the public views. Americans and the world focus on the pageantry of Inauguration Day. It's very busy. You are on your feet constantly making sure things are going in the right place and in the right way, and there is very little time to spare. So, months planning this, these, like, this, it's a process that just take, can only take place over, over several hours. Out with the old, in with the new. Okay? The changes range from the mundane to the significant. Mr. Obama, whose family's obsession with healthy eating has been well documented, keeps a large bowl of apples in the Oval Office. Mr. Trump, a fast food aficionado, is known to prefer not only Doritos, but also Lay's potato chips. The chief usher is in charge of briefing the kitchen staff of any such requests in advance, so the pantry is stocked appropriately. So this just gives you a little bit of a picture, right, of just sort of the, the, the practical preparation that's going on behind the scenes. Months in advance, artwork, curtains, carpeting, um, sculptures, every last detail, bags of potato chips uh, is, is prepared in advance so that when that, when that inauguration happens, no, not before it, but when that, when that, um, when that time comes of the, the inauguration, that transition takes place. So Paul, Paul's pointing out to the Colossians here that we have a new king who's been inaugurated, right? We have a new king. He's king over all things. He's king over all creation. So Paul paints this picture of, of how Jesus is reconciling all things to himself and then he zooms down to them. And even you, even you have been reconciled. You're a case in point. You have been reconciled. But something, something that we do that kind of clouds our vision of Jesus' reign or his kingdom is that we start from ourselves and work our way out. See, Paul's saying, look at what's happening in the universe and the cosmos you know, that's what it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Do you know what the Greek word there for world is? It is cosmos. God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only son. This is not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about his love for all things that he has made. 
And with NASA's announcement this past week, it blows my mind to even think about what that means, right? That we're discovering new planets that are potentially inhabitable or inhabited. Who knows? Who knows what's out there? All right, don't, sit, don't ship me off to Roswell for saying that. But um, um, who, who knows? But his, he loved the cosmos so much that he gave his only son. And Paul's saying, look at the cosmos. Look at the reconciliation that's happening. And even you are an example He narrows down to them. But what we do is we invert that and we start with us and we say, God's real. Just look at my life. Look at me. And then sometimes we don't even make it back out to creation. See, we start on the inside and and try to work our way out. But Paul's starting with a big picture and works his way in. And he's saying, you need to have your heads around this, that he is reconciling all things to himself. And he even reconciled you. There's a quote from a commentary that I read that says, you cannot have Christ in the heart and keep him out of creation. But this is what we do a lot, right? It's like we sort of confine Jesus to our heart, my personal Lord and Savior, instead of my cosmos Lord and Savior. (laughs) I'll take the cosmos Lord and Savior (laughs) and throw me into the package too. Um, See, we have this idea of Jesus, uh, his, 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 his victory. I used to get, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I used to get super depressed when I was a kid. Thinking about heaven. Anybody relate with that? Okay, come on. Be honest. Thinking Because it, it was like, oh man, I don't want to just like sing. Those songs are horrible. I don't want to sing those songs forever. Thinking about the music I had heard. I want to like fly around and sing those songs forever. Are you serious? That's depressing. I don't want that. And I even had uh, uh, like this, this um, probably like scarred me for life. This moment where I thought I was having a sleepover with my cousin. I thought he'd been raptured. And I've been left behind because I couldn't find him. And it was like two in the morning. We were like playing G.I. Joe's or something. And then he's gone. And I'm like, I missed it. I missed it. I missed it. I knew I shouldn't have stolen that extra chocolate milk from the cafeteria. I missed it. Because we have, this, we have this, this narrow idea that Jesus is reconciling hearts, but not all things, right? But Paul's saying he's reconciling all things, even hearts. Right? Even souls. Even, even minds. Jesus is reconciling all things to Himself. See, we, what, what we do is we, we read a couple of different Bibles, okay? We read... So, some of us read a Bible that starts in Genesis 3 and ends in Revelation 20. There's four chapters left out of that Bible. Okay. You know what happens in Genesis 1 and 2? Creation. That was, there's an adjective attached to it. It was good. It's very good, right? But in Genesis 3, something happens. Sin, right? What we do is we start there, and when we get to Jesus, we're like, oh, he's making that part right, right? He's taking me to heaven someday. And so then we start, we stop, we read up to Revelation. And then we, and then we stop there in, in chapter 20. In chapters 21 and 22, talk about this new city. The new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus is enthroned in the center with all things in His presence. Okay? See, when we start from Genesis 3, all Jesus means is that He forgives your sin. Right? If we start with sin. If we back up and start with Genesis 1 and we're starting with a good creation then it makes sense to us 
that what Jesus is doing is not just forgiving your sin, but restoring the goodness of all things. Right? Jesus came to reconcile all things. He came to restore all things to Himself, not just forgive your sin. I'm not saying something that you guys haven't heard before, I'm sure. We've got to get our heads around this. So if we start with Genesis 1 and 2, and we see Adam and Eve in a garden, a place of order surrounded by wilderness and chaos. And a lot of us, we have this kind of romantic idea of wilderness. But most people, most people in the world, <laughs> you see, I think on, on, on Highway 30 for a little while, there was a, it may still be there, a sign for, I think for Wyoming, a billboard for Wyoming. And it's like um, something about, it, it says something about this being like a sacred place. You know, it's like cathedral-like majesty come over here to the holy place kind of idea. That's how we look at our national parks, right? For most of the world, they're trying to get out of the wilderness. And then we like go sleep in the wilderness for fun. And they're like, you guys are crazy. We've been trying to get in the house. <laughs> and you guys are leaving the house to go sleep in your tent and all that. Um, because we have like this romantic idea of wilderness. But scripturally, scripturally, this, this picture, you have this picture of the garden which is ordered which is cultivated, and then you have the wilderness around it, and what Adam and Eve are commissioned to do is go forth and multiply. Right? See, they weren't even meant to stay there in the first place. Go forth and multiply, not just kids, but multiply the ordering that you've observed. This is a template. Now go forth and do it. Go forth and do it. And if you fast forward to Revelation 20, 21 and 22, we see that fully enacted. We see a new creation in the presence of Jesus where all things are made holy. All things are reconciled to Him. Jesus, we even read, is the new Adam. This might seem like sort of a, a, a tangent or a side point, but I really feel this morning to, like, to really hammer this home. You guys, your work matters. Your vocation matters. You know what the word vocation comes from? Any Latin nerds in here? It's your calling, right? Vocation is, is it's a vocal, has a, has a vocal source, right? Your vocation is something that's spoken to you. Your work matters. And if you just do a job, you've got, you need your vision to be refreshed, right? We need, we need our vision to be refreshed and see that God is making all things new so that we can see that the work that we, the thing that we spend most of our lives doing matters. And not just when you come here for two hours on Sunday because there's an awesome cake over there. That was good. Um, you get what I'm saying? See, we devalue what we spend most of our lives doing. Because we think it, it doesn't matter. We think all that matters is that I go make some money so I can give it here. And God's like, yeah, but what about the rest of that 40, 50, 60 hours or more that you do over there? It's a part of God's redeeming of creation. Bringing order. It matters. But if we just start with Genesis 3, all that matters is what's in my heart and I come here and sing some songs and that's all. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You hear me? Okay. See, this is the message from, from Colossians 1, you guys. Is that Jesus is before all things. 
All things were made by Him. All things were made through Him. All things were made for Him. He is reconciling all things to Himself. Even you. Even you. So Paul's writing and he's painting a picture of Jesus to them. He's saying, guys, wake up. You need new vision. You need to see Jesus more clearly. You need to see Him as a person and you need to see His work. Okay? So a vision, when I say vision of the kingdom, that's what I mean. All the kingdom is. You hear this word, this term kingdom of God thrown around a lot. All I mean by that is the place where Jesus is king. The place where Jesus reigns. Okay, so for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, then that is in your heart, right? But then you've been given a domain that you can rule over and influence, right? Your home, um, your workplace. So you, you, can, you can actually, um, you're like these, uh, these people preparing for, for President Trump. And, and you're, like, you're preparing the way for Jesus in your workplace, around you. The things that, that, that you've been given influence and, do, and, and domain over. Alright, so Paul is he's given them a vision of Jesus. He's given them a vision of His kingdom. And this is what we need the most. Okay, Hebrews 12, verse 2. This, this famous, famous passage, famous phrase. It says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. The author of and finisher of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher. Jesus is the starting point. He's also the destination. He's the, he's the end goal. Okay, so our, the finish line for you and me is not a place, but it's a person. Does that make sense? You're not running to, a, to a, a geographic location. You're not running to heaven. Heaven's not a place. It's a person. It's a presence of a person. Does that make sense? Heaven is not some place that we're going like to be, be like shipped off to someday. It is the presence of a person who gives life. The presence of Jesus. And so, so the writer of Hebrews here is saying, keep your eyes on Jesus because He is the goal. He is the finish line. It's not the work you can do. You'll do work along the way, right? It's not your righteousness. You will become righteous as you follow Him. Okay? It's not your holiness. You will become holy as you follow Him, as you run after Him. He's the goal. He's the destination. So Paul meets the Colossians' need. Again, so how would you write to a church in this state? He chooses to present to them a person. He meets their need with vision. Okay? Jesus' supremacy, His sufficiency, He's taking on these heresies. He's saying not Christ and, but Christ, period. I was talking with, with some, I was working with a team of people recently who were given the task to disciple a group of young people. And um, any of you who've ever attempted a task of that sort, it's kind of like herding cats or, you know, whatever. But they were on a mission to teach the Bible to a group of like 18 to 22 year olds. <clears throat> the millennials, you know. And um, and they, they came back. I was, the, I was the leader of this group of people. And they came back and they were like complaining. These people don't know the Bible. 
These are now some of the people complaining are like from like Heartland, Midwest, um, hardcore like Bible churches. These kids don't know the Bible. This is what's wrong with America. Oh man, it's just going down the toilet. Bible illiteracy, blah, 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 blah. They don't care. They're falling asleep, just whining and complaining. All right? And then they're like, that's it. Next week, we're going to start. We're going to read the whole Bible. We're going to start with Genesis. Okay? That's what we're going to do. I was like, time out. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> time out. Here's what needs to happen. You need to inspire them. How about that? You need to inspire them. Open up Scripture to them in a way that shows them the life that's there. Open up Scripture to them that shows them the life that's there, that shows them that it's active and that it's breathing and that there are layers and depths and things to discover. There are jewels to mine. How about that? Don't just give them more tasks. Inspire them. See, we assume that like, this is, this is often what we do. We, we assume that when there's a lack, that if we provide more means, that that will fix the problem, right? Okay, so there's a bunch of Bibles on every table. Do you guys know the Bible inside and out? <laughs> you have means all around you. How many Bibles do you have in your home? How many Bibles would you guess are like in the, in the average American home? I don't know the answer to that, but... Yeah, okay, so you've heard a statistic. Okay, so over three. I, I'm guessing that's right. Do you think Bible knowledge today is greater or less than it was 20 years ago? It's probably not any different. Probably if we said like 50 years ago, it's probably less. I'm guessing, I don't know. I'm guessing it, it's gone down. But me, the means have increased, and knowledge has either stayed the same or decreased, Right? The means does not solve our problem. And this is something that we've got to get our heads around for ourselves. And as we're attempting to disciple other people, is that we need to understand the difference between means and vision and intentions. Okay? A lot of times we have, uh, we have the means. We have the means all around us. And sometimes we want to fix the problem. We're like, oh, well, maybe if I go buy another pair of running shoes, that will help me run more, right? Economists talk about this kind of thing where we like guilt ourselves into some new habit. Um, but so we're like, oh, maybe if I had more means, it would help me. But in the end, it doesn't, does it? Greater means and supplying greater means doesn't necessarily help it. So Paul doesn't write to them and he's like, you guys, what you really need in Colossae is more church services. So we're going with two services on Sunday, okay? We're going to do a 15-minute break with some coffee in between, okay? Good? Ready? Break. No, that's not what they needed, was it? It wasn't greater means. What they needed, and it, and it wasn't even necessarily, he doesn't even necessarily address their intention, meaning like willpower. Sometimes we think we can solve our problems by willpower. Any of you ever like tried to will yourself into something that just totally hit the wall? <laughs> Is it just me? Okay, I see a couple of people nodding uncomfortably. So sometimes we think that just intention, um, willpower will fix the problem. And like evangelicals, man, we are notorious. Like we're all about that willpower, right? Come on. Got to get to work. 
got to do stuff. If you just could will yourself to do it more. But, you guys, sometimes what we need most is exactly what Paul has given here. We need vision. We need a vision of Jesus. And not just an old vision from Sunday school. Not just an old vision from the day that you got saved. But today, right now, to see Him. And we need to get honest in the time where we're like, I can't see Him anymore. I can't feel Him anymore. Somebody, another person who said that uh, was a guy named Thomas, who we kind of give a hard time. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? And the disciples were like, dude, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And Thomas' response is, if I can see it, if I can touch his wounds, I'll believe. If I can see it, if I can feel it, I'll believe. Days pass. Days pass. He didn't get like cast to hell. You know, lightning didn't come down because of his doubt. You know what Jesus does? Jesus says, cool. Look. Feel me. Put your fingers in my wounds. Feel me. See, we often, like, we get freaked out by doubt. Somebody in our community group, somebody in our family is like, I don't know what I believe. And we're like, oh, stop. Get the anointing oil. Call the Vatican. Palm leaves. Like, no. He said the D word. He said doubt. But Jesus is like, cool, feel me. See me. Experience me. You need vision. You need experience. Right? Jesus is not put off by that. We need vision. We need vision, and we need to be prepared to share our vision. Okay? Um, I want to just close just with a, I want to throw up a, a photo here from Senegal. And uh, I'll just, I know this is not the easiest to see, but just having this image up here, it just helps a little bit. So this guy that you see on the right here, is the village chief in a place called Godel. He's a Muslim. And the guy on the far left is the, the pastor of the church in Godel. And we're sitting together in a circle, and the chief is telling us, we're so happy that the church is here. We're so happy that you're here because we see all the good things that have happened. And... Um, and so we're sitting and we're having a conversation about their hopes and plans for their, for their home, for their village, and where they want to put in farmland, where they want to put in running water, what they would like to see happen. See, they're cooperating. And um, what, what's amazing to this, uh, about this to me is that in the U.S., see, we have this idea that we need to like, hide our vision. We need to hide our convictions. We kind of keep them under the table. And we're, but in, in this setting, what struck me about this conversation is that everything's on the table. This is what I believe. These are my convictions. Let's sit down together. I respect you and I honor you. Let's sit down together and find places of agreement and cooperate together. See, this is the difference in relativism and pluralism, okay? And we live in this relativistic culture where the only conviction a lot of people have is that you can't have a conviction, Right? Whereas in a pluralistic culture, where it's like, okay, you believe that? Cool. This is what I believe, and I'm going to share this openly with you. I'm not going to hold back. I'm actually responsible 
to be open and honest about this with you. Okay? So, we, so this is just a, sort of a, a tag on, an add-on to this message of we need vision. We also need to openly share our vision. Because in these places of discomfort are when Jesus meets us and shows himself to us more. Okay? When we're just sort of shut up in, in, our, in our place of comfort, our vision goes dim. Our passion fades. We get bored. We burn out. But in this place of openness, of honesty, of respect and honor, there's a place to... Uh, for Jesus to meet us, and all right, I'm going to give you more. You need more of me, more of me. Um, I want to invite the worship team to come up, and I want to uh, just read these words over us and uh, and and pray for us. Okay, so I'm going to read uh, from Colossians one again, verses 18 through 20. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that You would um, that you will give us vision of You. Help us to see You more clearly, Lord. Help us to lean on the people around us and say, I need to see. I've lost it. Or I've never seen, and I've just been pretending. Help us to see You more clearly, Lord. Help us to know You more. We welcome You, Lord, and we just we ask for Your help. We ask that You would uh, provide these opportunities for us to share our vision and our hope, Lord. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.